Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And as always, a little preview of what's coming up for our inbox. We have a listener who wrote in and was curious uh, for me to share some of my favorite books, maybe of all time. That's kind of what I did. Um, A couple more current ones and whatnot. But, you know, not counting the Bible because... We have to say that, of course, Um, but I do share that list. And then for our culture segment, we have got uh, our friend Adam Holtz here to share about his work with Plugged In. Many of you know Plugged In, Um, but specifically talking about movies, um, including the upcoming Oscars, including making smart choices uh, regarding entertainment, kind of what are some of his must-sees, and so that's a fun conversation. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and uh, because he's a man of many talents. Adam is back for this conversation as well, along with Bailey and Paul. And we are going to talk about uh, finding hope after breakups. And so you guys welcome and thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Lisa. Good to be with you. Well, this will be good. Well, this is kind of one of those things where, you know, you don't want to be called and be the person who, come please talk about your breakups, <laughs> insinuating <laughs> that you've either had many or had bad ones or whatever, but, you know, yes. like I can talk. So um, anyway, it's it's all good. Uh, but we're going to have fun with this because clearly you can find hope in a breakup, especially if you realize that God is in control of all of our relationships. And in the end, we just have to trust him that, you know, I think so many of us like look at relationships in a one-sided way of like, we have to make it work or we have to win at this relationship or we have to, and we forget that uh, this other person is involved and God himself (laughs) is involved. So that allows us to just chill and and trust God for the outcome. But that said, uh, I do want to open it up by having all of you comment on, you know, any specific breakups that come to mind? Were there ones that were especially painful? Or did you have like a run of breakups in a season of life? I do not need to share here because I feel like I have gone over this territory with our audience. So I would love to hear your stories in this regard. Well, between the time I was 21, 22, and when I got married at 34, I think I dated 34 different people. Wow. <laughs> 33 of whom broke up with me. <laughs> yeah. okay. A lot of those, we never even got far enough to call it a breakup. It okay. was more like when a when a rocket ship blows up on the launch pad. It's impressive yeah. you remember the number. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like you I have a little chart at home. No, I can I, only I assume not. that's a, that's at least 32 cups of coffee or yeah. dinners or what. <laughs> at least so. that many. Okay. At least that many. And I, there's one in particular with somebody that, you know, you go back through your memories of people that you had a level of attraction or infatuation with that I was really hoping it would go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I lived at Glen Erie in Colorado Springs at the time, which is this beautiful pastoral estate on the west side of town with a castle. And I just remember walking and crying Mm -hmm. and just, my heart hurt, you know? And I I still picture, I can picture where I was on this one particular road of just, you know, sort of venting anguish to God. And I think we'd gone out four or five times. I mean, it was enough to, it was maybe this was going somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, before... I got, you know, friend zoned, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is another conversation for another yeah. time. But but I just remember that it just feels like your guts have been ripped out, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all you feel is ache and disappointment and hurt. And we can talk more about what we do with that pain. But yeah. 
certainly that's one of one of my memories. Yeah, for sure. Bailey, how about you? Yeah, well, I've only been in two, like, serious relationships. Like, there have been people that I've, like, talked to um, and thought, well, maybe, like, this is going to go yeah. somewhere. But two, like, actual, like, serious relationships. And both of those breakups were devastating to me. The first one, I was only 16. So it's like, oh, you're in high school. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But the problem was, like, he had gone in an accident and had a super, like, major head injury and, like, wasn't the same after that. Mm-hmm. So that was just kind of upsetting because it was like, well, what could have been, like, if he hadn't have been in that accident? accident and then the second one um was just this past year i was engaged and broke off my engagement in september Mm -hmm. so i'm still walking through that healing process but through it all i've just been able to see how faithful god is and been able to learn more about myself and grow my relationship with him so it wasn't wasted yeah for sure you know i'm somewhere between adam and bailey so (laughs) not 34 a little more than two but okay for, for me the distinctive one was the college girlfriend Um, Mm. You know, we dated for two years. It felt like it was moving in the direction of marriage. I remember I made payments on a ring, and I was really close to it. And, um, you know, there's a line in A Christmas Story, Adam, you probably remember this, where (laughs) uh, he talks about at the height of, at the zenith of your glory, (laughs) when you think all is right with the world, suddenly something happens. And this particular time, we had just graduated uh, I had had this goal of running two marathons in two weeks. And so I had run the Marine Corps Marathon the new, uh, and then the um, Chicago Marathon. Wow. And I got a call, uh, I guess, came home, and she had, I had just finished the two weeks, had been fun, and gone to a Notre Dame football game. And she said, let's have breakfast, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, great. I was in the greatest <laughs> mood. And then she came. Still and, had the runner's high and the endorphins. Yeah, it was everything. going great. And then it was Halloween of 1994. I still remember it. And mm-hmm. she just dropped it. She said, I just have chosen, I don't want to be uh, moving towards marriage. I want to live my life. I want to have some excitement. I want to move into New York City. I just want to do something different. And you're not mm-hmm. part of those plans. I mean, she was a little more nicer about it than that. Yeah. But um, that, you know, was a, a blow because mm-hmm. it had been something I had been, I thought I knew where my life was going. And at that moment, uh, it was going in a very different direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, would you all say to that point, um, relationships that you've been in or started or false starts or whatever, were were the breakups surprising to you or were they kind of a slow burn or a slow fade or a mix of both? Like how are, do you tend to be like taken aback by someone <laughs> having to break up with you and saying, oh, let's do breakfast? Or do you kind of see the writing on the wall? I would say for me, the first one, I kind of saw it coming. Um, because after his accident, I noticed that he was slowly like becoming a different person and that he was treating me differently. He went from being someone that I like loved and trusted um, to being someone that I was afraid of because mm-hmm. he became like very emotionally manipulative. Like he just was not like a kind person. Like that part of him just kind of went away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could feel him like pulling away from me through that process. So I wasn't completely shocked. I had been like praying for a different outcome. So I was really upset by it, wasn't completely surprised. Um, Even when I personally broke off my engagement, I was surprised that that kind of came up because I didn't see all the problems and the toxicity and those different things until after the engagement happened and Mm -hmm. saw him around my family more was when I realized that it was unhealthy. So I'd say both kind of caught me off guard, but not like completely. Yeah. Yeah. I usually wasn't caught off guard because usually my level of enthusiasm played a role in terrifying somebody. 
And okay. so I could feel when somebody began to pull away. Now, on the flip side, and I think this is important too, when we talk about breakups, I think we maybe automatically think of being broken up with. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the breakee, you're the rejectee. Mm-hmm. And that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had one serious relationship in my late 20s um, that looked like it potentially could be moving toward marriage. And I was the one who realized, I don't think this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was the one who, who broke up. And I remember, like, I, this is so terrible. I went out and bought a bunch of gifts for our breakup talk because I felt so uh-huh. guilty. Mm-hmm. And, and it was awful. It was a horrible, because it's, you know, when you get rejected, you're like, what's wrong with me? You got multiple gifts? Like, not just one, like multiple ones? Yeah. I just, wow. Yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> wow. Um, but uh, that was just feeling guilty. It's like, oh, she's a great girl. What's wrong with me? You're going to break her heart. And you just sort of feel like pretty guilty, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's a different kind of awfulness, being the one inflicting the pain. I don't know that it's just as bad as receiving the pain. I think actually receiving the pain is probably worse, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they're both awful. And I think it's it's easy to sort of mostly focus on that one side of things. Yeah. In In hindsight, I should have seen it coming because there are little clues. And one of them, I remember we... She had told me she wanted to go to a concert, and she wanted to go see Depeche Mode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, like, I am not a Depeche Mode you know, guy. Maybe DC Talk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I thought, well, okay, this is what she wants to do. And, and so we're there, and, you know, the, all the women, the ladies with the black lipstick. And I remember someone <laughs> next to us was wearing a garbage bag. That was their... Okay. That was, and she loved it. Like, it was, she was in her element. And, you know, here I am. This is like a huge warning sign. Like, this is probably not the type of person that I'm going to yeah. be compatible with the rest of my life, given how square I am. Mm-hmm. And yet <laughs> I just blindly plowed ahead because I thought I knew this was the way it was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And so I missed it. But, mm. you know, of course, looking back now, it was like flashing red lights. Yeah. Okay. So what would you say, like for all of you going through the breakups themselves, what did those first couple days post look like? Like how, I mean, was it, all the stuff that people say, you know, we talk about this here on the show a lot about, you know, did you weirdly try to reach out to these people? Did you try to maintain connections? Did you try to justify your own feelings? Did you try to, you know, dismiss like, oh, it's not that big of a deal or whatever? Like, how did you personally emotionally respond? Well, I, I made a huge mistake in, in hindsight is I wanted to be, the per- I tried to become the person she wanted to be. Mm. And, you know, that she wanted a more hip. Mm. I mean, I literally got, I mean, I wore contacts. I started wearing glasses. You know, I wore jeans and I started wearing, you know, more Black hip. garbage bags. Yeah, not exactly. But it was cool. I mean, that's Parachute sort of pants. thing. <laughs> nice. Oh, that was 90s, not yeah, 80s. <laughs> but it was like the quintessential opposite of what you should do, which mm-hmm. is to not be confident in your own mm-hmm. person that God made you, but to try and meet that other person's expectations by becoming someone you're not. Mm-hmm. So I did that and you know, completely embarrassed myself. And she clearly saw it. I mean, she knew that wasn't me, mm-hmm. but I was, I was desperate. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I regret that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would just sort of retreat into my emotional man cave and lick my wounds, you know, mm-hmm. unhealthily. So that's a very strange metaphor, but mm-hmm. like you can, you got to figure out what to do with your emotion. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, we can minimize it, which you mentioned, and try to pretend that we're not hurting as bad as we are. 
or we can go down the Bridget Jones all by myself rabbit hole and, you know, <laughs> buy out all the Blue Bunny ice cream in the store and just keep eating it by ourselves. Um, and for me, I, I think that's I was more on that end of the spectrum of just what was me, you know, just I don't know. I, trying to figure out how to deal with those emotions is tricky. Uh, and I think one of the things I wanted to say for that is we really need one or two or three close friends who love us enough to let us be our most yucky selves. Mm -hmm. Because after you have been broken up with, you're a mess Mm -hmm. and you're not much fun to be around. Yeah. But we need those people. But I think some people make the mistake of broadcasting that to everybody. And Mm -hmm. we've all been in that group where somebody starts sharing like really inappropriate things. Yeah. Oh, bless your heart. This yeah. is not the space or for Or broadcasting to the person who broke up with them, which you <laughs> right. know, then they get all crazy and angry. They're talking really and... loud because yeah. they're right over there, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you just become the crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, when I was broken up with, it was so stereotypical, but I ate a lot of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> it just like seemed like the thing. Like, um, I just like love sweets. So for me, that was like something that helped. Um, but I really threw myself into swim team as mm. well. Um, I had a really great team. My coach was amazing. And they were all like, hey, come here. Like, we're, we're your family. Like, we're here for you. Um, so swimming honestly helped me so much because it gave me something to work toward. And mm-hmm. I was focusing on my goals instead of like what I had lost. Mm-hmm. So that helped a lot. Um, and then when I was the one who broke it off, um, I think because... I could see like what a dangerous situation that that could have turned out to be. Um, And I had people, family, friends, mentors saying, wow, you did the right thing, Um, even though it felt really hard. Like I didn't go out to hurt him. You know, like that's not what I wanted. That was the last thing I wanted. But I think because I could see what God was doing and I could see, I could feel God like saying like, I have something better for you. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was a much um, more mature and more um, healthy, like, break off, I would say. Some of the advice I always got that I think is probably bad advice, but it's kind of true, is that the best way to get over someone is to start dating someone else. (laughs) And But yet it does feel it. I mean, we've all, I don't know if we've all done it, but I've done it. And it does sort of fill a hole Mm -hmm. uh, and rather than wallowing in your loneliness. Mm -hmm. But it's probably not the healthy. I mean, I'd be curious what you think about that because or anybody because it's yeah. sort of, it does sort of, it's not textbook what you should do, right? Because you're not dealing with the issues. Right. You're just filling the time and filling the hole. Yeah. And I guess I would say, I, I mean, my advice on that would differ based on, are you talking about you went out like three or four times with someone and were like, this isn't going to work or they disappointed you or something. And then you're like, okay, I need to try again. Because right. that's where I always say, like, if we were, if we had our parents and grandparents sitting around here, I remember speaking at an event once and this old dude at the end was like, because I was talking about like, you know, uh, just appropriately like not using people or not going to churches just to scam on women or men and like see how many people you can date in a short amount of time. And he's like, wow, he said, when I was dating, I usually went out with three women on a weekend. And it was just, (laughs) it was just a totally different scene. But, but again, it also wasn't, there wasn't nearly the weirdo enmeshment that there is in today's culture where <laughs> yeah. people are just all in one another's Sounds business. Sounds like a book. Yeah, like the right. weirdo enmeshment. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it was like they just went out and like walked down to the soda fountain, you know, and got so it was just a lot more, yeah. you know, better boundaries and stuff but like that. But haven't you guys, so. I mean, I've gone on two dates in a weekend and I remember like you start to forget. So like you're telling stories and you can't remember who I told the story <laughs> to. It's a little embarrassing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This may be too long a story for the podcast, but... I 
had the, the best dating situations are where you both realize simultaneously that it's not going to work. Yeah. It's like, I don't think this is going to work. And the other one's like, I don't think so either. I'm so relieved you feel the same way. I had that happen once and realized that the girl I was dating was living with somebody I had been interested in a long time ago. I'm like, now that we've got that figured out, <laughs> is your roommate seeing anybody? Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. That was a one date thing. It didn't That's go good. anywhere. Yeah. Okay. So to that point, because we've already started going here, what would you say just some best advice and worst advice for walking through that season immediately after a breakup? Either how, you know, how to break up well and not break up well, or just how to recover from a breakup. Things to say, to not say, to say to others, to not say to others, just what that looks like in a, in a healthy way. Well, I think that we need to remember that it's a grieving process mm-hmm. and we all know the five stages of grief, but there's truth in that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in denial, we're angry, we bargain, we get depressed, we move toward acceptance. And depending on how deep the relationship was, that's going to influence how fast we go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I think we need to give ourselves space to be honest about the emotions that we're feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes well-intended Christians can say, oh, you just need to trust God and it's all going to work out. And it can make us feel guilty that somehow we're not trusting God. Um, But I think that all of us are going to take a different amount of time to to process that. Mm -hmm. And some people are going to get through it more quickly than others, but there's a loss and we have to be honest about that. And I think that's where having those other people close to us is important because they're a sounding board because we're um, we're off balance, right? We're not, we're, our equilibrium is messed up. We're not seeing things clearly because there's so much emotion. We need other people to help us, but, but mostly to listen, not to like, you know, and now you need to do this to get what you want, but Mm -hmm. just to, to sort of be there for you in that, the classic sense of that phrase. Yeah, that's good. I would say like really good things to do are, you know, surround yourself with friends, do not like isolate yourself because yeah. that's just like breeding ground for the enemy to put so many lies in your head. Mm-hmm. And I'm naturally a more introverted person. So my natural inclination would be to be by myself a lot when I'm healing from a breakup. But I've been trying to, you know, throw yourself into church, throw yourself into friends, um, family, like those things help a lot. Counseling, counseling's helped me a lot. Um, reading good books. The Sacred Search by Gary Thomas is Mm. one of the best books to read going through something like that. Um, And yeah, just one thing that really helped me too was just to be like, okay, God, like I know you did this for a reason and I know that you want me to learn something from this. Like, what can I learn from this? What do you want me to do? Like, how can I help other people who are going through the same thing? So I think it's just taking a step back and saying, what's the bigger, what's the bigger picture? Like, what is God showing me? That's Mm -hmm. one thing that helped me so much. Just keep from like looking at my circumstances and being like, wow, I hate this. Like, Mm -hmm. I really wish this didn't happen. Mm -hmm. It's really good. I had a pastor tell me, you know, talking about the reality of time and how it's going to take time. And he said, the problem with time is that it takes time. (laughs) And I've always remembered that. And it, it applies to all areas of your life because yeah, I mean, some things don't happen overnight. Yeah. You don't heal. Uh, you know, a wound doesn't close immediately. Yeah. Mm. It's funny you say that because that's what I was just thinking. Like for most of my breakups, I just felt like I will never recover from this. And so mm. I started telling myself objectively, even though I didn't feel it, like 
six months from now, this is going to look totally different. I know yeah. that yeah. I don't believe that right now, but just trust that time is going to make this, you know, it's going to be, it's just a big deal in the process. And so give it the time, you know, that you need and stuff. So yeah, it was and helpful. I, and I think as we go through that, an important thing, two important things to pay attention to are compulsive behaviors. Mm -hmm. Like the day you get broken up with, I think going out and, and going full Bridget Jones with a half gallon ice cream is probably mm -hmm. fine. <laughs> if you're still doing that three months later, yeah. you're in a bad place. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially if it's happened more than once, you mm -hmm. can almost get a PTSD thing that starts to warp your perspective. And I think there's a temptation to get, to have anger turn into bitterness. Mm -hmm. And I think to pay attention to that, you mm -hmm. know, if we start thinking thoughts like, well, all men are jerks or all women just lead you on or whatever stereotype you want to put in, I think we need to watch for that, that bitterness because that's so destructive and it just yeah. eats at our soul. And, and again, we need other people to help us see that. Yeah. And this isn't particularly theologically deep, but I've remembered this too. Ronald Reagan, who I loved, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> and uh, he had a very unfortunate, um, you know, short marriage. And when he, when he lost his first wife, he, and then met Nancy, he always referred to his first marriage as a lucky defeat, hmm. which I know I'm not glorifying divorce and not <laughs> suggesting you should, ever should go through it. Well. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the idea that, that, that term lucky defeat means sometimes you do get a, you get, do get defeated, but good things come of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, to keep that in mind, that's a hopeful, hopeful idea. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, and also to not Jesus juke this or, or get weirdly over spiritual. But I think another objective thing that I often tell myself, because it was so easy for me going through a breakup to think that I lost. Like if I didn't make it work, somehow I was inferior or I should have worked harder or I should have. But it's not a zero sum game. I mean, right. we have to realize that there are just some things that will not work out. And quite frankly, if you want to only marry one person and be married for the rest of your life, you have to cut a lot of people out. I mean, that's like you're only going to end up with one Sheep person. Sheep and goats, baby. Hopefully. Sheep and goats. <laughs> so, so I think I, I remember a friend told me, because, again, it was so easy for me to take that as my identity and internalize it and be like, something's wrong with me, something. And she told me that it was a wise woman who told her, just because someone does not love you does not mean that you're unlovable. And it doesn't mean that someone else won't love you, you know. And so it's not, it, that is not something that you own and you internalize and you say is, is part of your identity. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's just that person, you know. So, um, well, my goodness, this was really good, you guys. Thanks so much for kind of scratching the surface on this. There's so much that we could say, but um, I really appreciate you being willing to compassionately share some of your own experience and help others along the way.
Well, we are here for this week's culture segment, and you've heard him on other segments of the show, but I can't remember if we've had him on for a culture yet. It's our own Adam Holtz from Plugged In here at Focus on the Family. Hey, Adam. Hey, Lisa. Wonderful to have you. Thanks. Um, awesome. Adam is actually currently our director of Media and Culture. He's part of Plugged In. He also um, co-hosts the podcast, The Plugged In Show, which we will be linking to, so you have the info on that. Many of you I've heard from, and you have followed Plugged In over the years, and I know, you know, and Adam will confront him on this, you know, this sh- it, it's primarily you guys for parents to help navigate for their kids. So don't yeah. don't talk about how he, you know, they're trying to make judgments of you as a 20-something of what you should and shouldn't watch. But you know what? Maybe they should. So I'm just saying. <laughs> but um, also PluggedIn.com is where you can get everything, reviews and commentary related to movies, TV, music, video games, and more. And so um, when do you have to start venturing into the whole NFT? That's going to be kind oh, of <laughs> the metaverse. Yeah, we're not doing NFTs Let's talk about yet. our Although alternate realities. Our latest category edition is youtube channels yes Uh, and frankly i'm wondering if we're going to need to rapidly begin pivoting to tiktok channels yeah you know yeah uh, because that's just man it's where people are at yeah and it feels like culture shifts on a daily basis and we're doing our best to keep our finger on the pulse of everything that's going on yeah you do for sure so we thought it would be fun uh to talk to you adam just really break it down some specifically we're going to talk movies today because we are heading into awards season the oscars coming up very soon although when we're recording this we don't even know like are they actually going to do the oscars i know they already pulled the chain on the globes right yeah but the globes had all kinds of problems besides just covid (laughs) So, I mean, they managed to get pretty unwoke sideways with Hollywood and multiple issues there. Whether or not the carpets are unrolled or rolled up at this point, we we do not know. And so uh, it's always fun to to wait and find out. But I thought it would be fun. I mean, the first thing I want to kind of talk about is um, I would love for you, especially because we have a lot of newer listeners to The Boundless Show. Um, and maybe some people have come to Boundless not having ever heard of Focus on the Family and what we offer, you know, in other mm-hmm. spheres and stuff. So give us a little um, encapsulated view of what Plugged In is, what your mission is, and then also kind of twist it a little bit. Like, how could it best serve young adults yeah. who, you know, who could benefit from it? Well, we want everybody who comes to us to be able to get the information they need to make a wise and a discerning decision about the entertainment they choose. So that's the top level. Mm -hmm. And I would say the second level is we want to prompt, provoke, poke, prod, pick a a P verb, Mm -hmm. uh, people into thinking about worldview issues. And so we want to go deeper than just, you know, oh, you guys are the guys that count bad words. Now we want to push deeper than that. Although for parents, especially, that may be a very real issue if you decide whether to let your kid watch, you know, the latest Marvel movie, for example. Yeah. Um, but I think for for 20-somethings, it does offer you a content overview that you can look at our review. You don't have to agree with it, but I will say we work very hard to objectively capture what's there. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't agree with our particular subjective take on something, we hope to give you the information you need to be able to answer the question, is this something that would be good or appropriate for me? Is it on the edge or is it way out of bounds? You know, and 
frankly, our culture continues to embrace things as normal that have more and more content. And I think especially with the proliferation of these streaming services, if you're watching a drama on Netflix or Amazon Prime these days, it's probably got a whole bunch of R-rated content in it. Mm -hmm. And so I think at least beginning to ask yourself the question, what's there and how is that going to influence me is pretty important. Yeah, that's good. I remember I used to be much more, um, I I felt like I was almost more self-righteously censoring of myself in my media choices because it was much easier to see what was coming at you and be like, okay, this is what I'm in for. This is not what I'm in for. And we've talked at the Boundless Show before about, um, you know, people's triggers and stuff. And for some people, it's violence. For some people, it's sex. For some people, you know, the language is problematic for some reason or for some uh, combination thereof. And um, but like you said, I mean, now we've got so many streaming services, you kind of don't know what you're getting or there's just quite frankly... I mean, where but in entertainment has FOMO like hit us hardest? I mean, everyone's talking about everything. And I honestly don't feel sometimes that I I don't understand how people are keeping up with series that they do because they're like way into it. They're following them. They know all the like subplot lines and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And it feels like there are some people who are way into like they're just going to watch everything and they have to know about everything and then there are some people that are more like there's a little bit of snobbery of like okay well i'm watching all the oscar contenders this year and then there are some people that are just straight up like blockbusters that's all i'm doing i'm yeah i'm going with friends and stuff so let's talk a a little bit about each of those i want to start with some of the oscar um contenders and obviously we're heading into this award season and whatnot but where do you think this comes from that because i always say and i'm no expert i always say like seriously like why are all the oscar contenders like super (laughs) obscure like i've tried to watch some of them in the past i mean yeah i chariots of fire is one of my favorite movies it actually won an oscar so i feel like oh good there's at least one oscar winning movie i watched (laughs) at some point but i've you know i have watched some of them but they're just like wild and crazy like what what do you think what makes that happen and why are people so in a tiz over what is the right kind of movie for that boy that's a great question i mean i think the oscars have always had a level of i guess we could call it snobbery Mm -hmm. you know they tend toward the more artistic you know not necessarily blockbuster sorts of stories it tends in a gritty direction. I mean, we could go down the list and, you know, year after year after year, I call it the no country for old men effect. Mm-hmm. You know, like here's this really grim, dark, nihilistic movie. Whew, let's nominate yeah. it for an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know exactly where that comes from. So I don't know that I have a particularly satisfying answer to your question, you know, every now and then, like with Return of the King, they'll throw us a bone and Mm -hmm. say, okay, here's a movie that nobody can argue against its awesomeness. Mm -hmm. Um, But that doesn't happen very often. Um, And and even in years like the year Avatar got nominated, and I didn't think Avatar was a particularly amazing film. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was the the movie, I'm totally blanking on the name of it, um, about the bomb detonator, you know, that ends up winning instead. And so it's even when they nominate a big blockbuster, okay. they will often say, oh, no, well, we, we threw you a bone just giving you a nomination. We're going to pick this other one yeah. that, that really is obscure. Um, 
So Hollywood has this idea about artiness and what what quantifies as arty or risque or challenging enough. And I think um, I went back, it's been a couple of years now, but I went back and looked at all of the Oscar nominees over the last 20 years. Mm. And 50% of them were R-rated. Mm. Now, part of the reason I did that was because we have an ongoing conversation with a number of people that don't think Plugged In should even bother to review R-rated movies, period. Okay. Like, isn't an R rating enough to tell you that you shouldn't watch it? Mm. We won't get into that mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting when you go back and look at, at what's been nominated as these are the stories that we want to talk about. Man, half of them yeah. rated R, which kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, that's wild. Okay, well, let's talk um, the flip side of that coin, which seems to be all things, uh, whether Marvel or, <laughs> I mean, all, I was just like, okay, I, I mean, again, I have not yet seen the latest Spider-Man. I have told, I've had people tell me I need to see it. I have, I feel like I, I've watched most of the Spider-Mans. All clearly. 46 of them? I know. And I'm like, okay, wait, now it's another new Spider-Man. He's shooting his it? webs again. Exactly. And it always <laughs> ends up with like a 20 to 30 minute showdown between the protagonist and the yeah. antagonist, usually either on a train or a missile or something like that. And so I'm just like, okay, what is the I think deal? you're confusing that with Mission Impossible. I mean, but, well, that too. But that's okay. I, see, I blur them. They're they're very similar to me. So, you know, but, um, but let's talk about that and just kind of the furor around franchises and around where i mean people getting excited is this like is this nostalgia speaking is it true craft like where why are people taking sides and and drawing lines specifically whether it's you know dc or marvel or or where they are well i'm going to give you a history lesson i'm going to rewind the clock just a bit please uh in my mind there's before star wars and after star wars okay star wars was a watershed movie bsw bsw BSW. exactly okay asw um uh, but interestingly enough i read something a while back that said the the real prototypical template for the movie that we have today was raiders of the lost ark and they said this was the movie that established the template of moving from set piece to set piece to set piece with just enough plot and characterization in between to keep us engaged. So I think we go back to the early 80s as a time when that became the way we do movies. And since then, we just do it faster and bigger and more better, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think Marvel sort of painted itself into a corner because how do you keep topping what you've done before? Yeah. How do you top Thanos? You know, he, he killed half the people in the universe. <laughs> right. Right? Well, that... How do you go bigger? And interestingly, I think with the latest Spider-Man movie, I won't spoil it, but they go smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a little more intimate. It's a little more relational. Um, But I think that that bombast, the, the, just the sheer bigness of it, the spectacle of it, it's the P.T. Barnum thing, right? Mm -hmm. When people went to see P.T. Barnum for the first time, He promised the greatest show on earth. He promised, we're going to show you something you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the draw. But I think that there's also, uh, obviously you have the franchise, you have characters that people like. People really dig Mm Spider-Man. They have since he showed up back in the early 60s. Um, But you have a human element too. And I think movies typically are not successful if there's not some element that even amidst all of the the razzle-dazzle and the sci-fi or fantasy or superhero shtick, 
there have to be characters that we relate to. And I think Peter Parker remains a character that I can't shoot spider webs, but I can relate to his insecurities and his struggles. And I think the best of those movies invite us in emotionally at a human level. Mm -hmm. And some people like the big spectacle, others not so much. Uh, And so I think some of that just comes down to personality. Yeah. What would you say is a genre of film, now just that I'm thinking of it, that tends to be something that most people can identify with and enjoy. I mean, you know, we talk about people are going to draw lines about like, I will not watch sci-fi or I will not watch action or I won't watch a rom-com. But mm. what what is kind of that? I mean, what's the, the common denominator? Yeah, because somehow Oof. Star Wars had it on a certain level, though yeah. there are still plenty of people who are like, I've never seen a Star Wars. And right, I but they're it. all Russian but, agents. We know that. <laughs> they're all, they're not going to be our friends. What do you I mean you, you haven't that. seen Star Wars? Exactly. Were you born in Moscow? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. Um, I'm not sure there is one. I mean, I think that we're living in a time that we're exploding in options. And um, people have talked about the death of the monoculture. And the monoculture is... Once upon a time, we all shared a pretty similar cultural experience. Mm -hmm. But now with music, with movies, especially with all these streaming TV options, the monoculture is kind of blown up Mm -hmm. and people pride themselves on finding, you know, weird niche things that um, they think nobody knows about when, in fact, you know, 10 million people watched that on Netflix last week. Yeah. And Um, most of them were under 14. Exactly. (laughs) I do think the Marvel movies are as close as we get to probably a universal movie language in our culture. Uh, And obviously the latest Spider-Man went completely crazy at the box office, whereas a lot of things haven't. Uh, Post-COVID, we're in this weird time where people are trying to figure out, you know, do I want to go to a movie? Uh, But I think Marvel still seems to to transcend that barrier. Um, And that might be as close as we get, acknowledging, of course, that there are plenty of people who don't really dig superhero movies. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about a few of your favorites and I don't want to like stress you out by saying you have to be definitive here or pick, yeah. you know, only one thing from the last 40 years or whatever, <laughs> but let's just kind of, you know, generally banter about some favorites including, and I'd love for you to think of, you know, a couple maybe recent ones that, that, people maybe haven't considered as well as like what are some movies that over time really surprised you like things that you're like okay this is something that I wasn't expecting to really move me and and it did boy it's such a broad question um I find in general the movies that tend to move me deepest emotionally our movies, this is going to be a funny answer mm-hmm. uh, and one that I will immediately have to offer a, a plugged in <laughs> qualifier for because you're going to be like, you're a total hypocrite. I'm like, oh. Yeah, well, I am. So there you go. Um, I am moved by movies about friendship between men. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure why. I think my best friend moved away my junior year of high school and it was this deeply, deeply scarring experience. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Dances with Wolves uh, would be one. I, I don't even like the whole movie, mm-hmm. but I like the scenes of with Kevin Costner's friendship with mm-hmm. the Indian who starts out, the Native American, who starts out pretty much despising him. Yeah, and there's yeah. the scene, I don't even know, I'll try to quote it without crying, but I don't know <laughs> that I can, where Kevin Costner's character is riding away and 
um, his friend is on the hill with his spear up in the air and says, I have been and will always be your friend. Oh, just kills me. Mm-hmm. Kills me. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, I think the, the deepest emotional experience, this is so, it's so hysterical, that I ever had with a movie was Perfect Storm. And it's hysterical because this is basically a movie about stupid men who do stupid things who we all know are going to die. Mm -hmm. Like, spoiler warning, Mm -hmm. like, the poster is the ship on a wave practically going straight up. It's perfect for a reason. Right? And it's George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg. It's it's these guys that I can't – I like them despite myself. I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to like you, Mm -hmm. but I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but they decide to go for it. You know, they know there's this nor'easter coming in and they know that it's high risk. They've had a horrible fishing season. They're desperate, but they decide to take the risk together. Mm. And literally the first time I saw it, I sat in a theater for like half an hour until they kicked me out just crying mm. because it was some, there was something about beautiful about the picture of these men deciding that they were going to take this risk and go for it together. But I mean, spoiler warning, they all die, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's based on a true story. Yeah. Um, and that's a, an R-rated movie, which gets into the hypocrite thing. And we can talk about yeah, yeah. that sort of thing in a minute. Um, another one is Last of the Mohicans mm-hmm. um, and Daniel Day-Lewis's friendship mm-hmm. with this um, Mohican family that's basically kind of adopted him. Mm-hmm. And so those are the movies that, that really resonate with me and any movies that have corn in them, uh, <laughs> field of dreams. Nice. I just, it's Iowa. Okay. Uh, listeners to the plugged in show know that if you want to watch me cry, just like sweeping vistas of corn, do it every single time. Okay. Um, but those, did, those did are the Hoosiers sorts of have any corn. I can't remember. Oh, probably. Pretty... Yeah. I think they were Once driving, they got outside the there's gym. driving scenes with corn. <laughs> okay. So those are the kind of movies that resonate with me. And I think that when we have an emotional response to a movie, it's a really healthy thing to step out and say, okay, that just touched something really deep in me. Mm-hmm. What's going on there? Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes like with perfect storm, yeah. I wasn't crying because it had a sad ending. Mm -hmm. That wasn't it at all. You knew what was coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Titanic did that for people. Mm -hmm. You know, I I didn't particularly care for Titanic. Mm -hmm. I'll be one of those snobs. (laughs) But it was a cultural phenomenon because it connected emotionally uh, with a lot of people. (laughs) That's funny. You said, I don't know that I've ever thought of this before, but I guess I would say my favorite movies as a category or as a rule are ones that where there's some kind of either personal struggle and triumph or with a chihuahua someone, and another dog like when in Beverly Hills <laughs> yeah, chihuahua, exactly. <laughs> he had to cross the border exactly no or um something where someone has to take a stand against yeah. everyone else and so that's why chariots of fire is a yeah. big favorite of mine that's why wilberforce is a big favorite of mine um you know back uh uh, Benedict Cumberbatch back in the olden days and, and all of that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just ones like that where, or hidden figures, I love yeah. anything like that where it's like underdogs and you're taking a stand and rah, rah, rah. So yeah, I mean, that's that's legit. I mean, and I think it's good for us to think that through and go after, you know, the movies that we know are, you know, going to have an impact on us for that reason. Well, and let me say too, I think there are the movies that impact us and they're the movies that we just love, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes they're the same movies. Yeah. Sometimes they're not. Right. Um, right. We will watch The Lord of the Rings, any of those movies. Mm-hmm. Like, 
we still have cable. We're super old school. We have a landline phone too. I'll just confess that. <laughs> okay. And so sometimes we'll be flipping through. It's like, well, Lord of the Rings has to be on somewhere. Like as if we couldn't stream it on 14 different services right, right. now, but there's right. something fun about finding one of your favorite movies um, and, you know, picking up wherever it's at. My wife loves Jaws. If Jaws is oh. ever on TV, we always watch it and the whole family quotes Jaws. I'm like, well, this is a family-friendly movie. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but but it, again, it connects with us emotionally. There's something about that character, yeah. you know, this guy going after this shark. It's like, man, Spielberg nailed it. Yeah, no, that's great. So kind of, you know, in our last couple of minutes here, talk a little bit, Adam, about how we can achieve a balance. I mean, for believers who recognize that, you know, we're playing a long game here. This isn't about just personal happiness. It's not about numbing ourselves, entertaining ourselves. How do we enjoy entertainment and enjoy, I mean, whether for just the fun of it or for, you know, what the lessons we're going to learn from movies, whatever, but also stay engaged in the real world. I mean, I think a lot of people find themselves losing themselves in other people's stories, fictions, water cooler summaries of, oh my goodness, did you see this? And then meanwhile, their neighbor is just unknown to them or whatever. Talk to us about how we maintain a balance. Well, I think that we have to, we have to look at the fruit of our decisions. I think that we need to pay attention to how stories are impacting us. Mm-hmm. Um, in First Corinthians 6, Paul says, and this is the 1984 NIV, which is the equivalent of the King James Version for, mm. for me. <laughs> um, Paul says, everything is permissible for me. And he's quoting a local proverb. Mm. And then he says, uh, this is not a quote, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Mm. And this is in the context of debatable things. I mean, mm. First Corinthians is... Paul's letter to a culture that was totally screwed up. Mm -hmm. And he basically says, you know, this is kind of the way you think about this. Here's how I think about it. And, and Paul's saying as Christians, we have freedom, but we need to step back and say, is it beneficial? And then he comes back to that in chapter 10 and says, everything is beneficial, but not everything is constructive. So I think asking the question, is this constructive? Is it beneficial? Am I being mastered by it? And, Mm -hmm. Certainly we have all perhaps watched two or three or four episodes of something in a binge because we want to know what happens next. Mm -hmm. And I've done it, you know, Cobra Kai season four is out. We haven't watched it yet. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we'll do it in one sitting. So Mm -hmm. I'm really not trying to pile on, but if I want to spend five or six or seven or eight hours watching something, what's going on Mm -hmm. with that? What is it in me that that's compelling me to escape into that. And am I willing to have a conversation with myself, perhaps a roommate, somebody who knows me well, a friend, a parent, you know, Mm -hmm. um, boyfriend, girlfriend, am I willing to say, Hey, how's this influencing me? Mm -hmm. Uh, what's the fruit of this? And if I escape into a great story, is it a great time for two hours and we can go out and have fun and relate afterward? Or does it do something in me that's not healthy? Mm-hmm. You know, is it planting ideas? Are there images that stick with me? And I think because film is such a visual medium, we've got to take that idea of image really seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, how is this staying with me in ways that maybe aren't healthy? Uh, and am I willing to be honest with myself about that? Because yeah. I think we have a culture that values escape. It, it values entertainment. You know, we have this term veg out. Oh, you know, I have a right to veg out. 
I'm not sure as Christians that we have a right to check our brains at the door. Mm-hmm. Like that actually mm-hmm. is not a, a scriptural idea. Yeah. Um, so am I willing to engage honestly with myself and other people about how things are influencing me and, and really paying attention to that and, and acting accordingly? Yeah, that's good. Okay, so final question, and it's really it's really going to be what everyone thought we were going to talk about the whole time, and that's where everyone wants everything to be prescriptive. They want you to talk about numbers of F-bombs. They want you to talk about do this, don't do that. Here's what you can't watch. Here's what you can't do, whatever. But I'd love for you to, from personal experience, talk about one example where you realized exactly what you were just saying in a broader brush yep. of like, nope, this is no longer for me, or yeah. I'm noticing this in myself, or God forbid someone had to call this out in me. I mean, that's right. happened to us too before, you know? Yeah. So talk about that just as, as an example of how people can start doing self-checks of like, where am I going with this? And right. where, where really is my head in this? Well, in 1999, which I know is an example from a long time ago, I saw American Beauty when it came out. And it would be an example of that gritty indie mm-hmm. movie that gets nominated for Best Picture. Um, and it's a story about an older guy having essentially a midlife crisis and falls in love uh, and in lust with uh, his high school daughter's best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a movie that, if it doesn't make you profoundly uncomfortable, you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, critics loved it. And he gets right up to the brink of essentially having a sexual relationship with this girl and kind of has that wake up in the pig slop prodigal moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is not who I want to be. Um, but there's fantasy sequences, there's explicit content I got done with that, and my thought was that was one of the most extraordinary depictions of human depravity I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. But I was super uncomfortable, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the question I ask is, do I need to see a really extraordinary depiction of depravity to know that it's depraved? Mm -hmm. Um, And I've seen a lot of indie movies since then that had worse content Um, but I think that in terms of the entertainment I'm seeking out, yeah, there's lots of gritty, realistic stuff out there. And I'm not saying that we have to just watch Hallmark movies all the time. Mm -hmm. Although Mm -hmm. I have a wife and two daughters, we watch a lot of Hallmark movies Mm -hmm. and I'll come in at 10 minutes left and be like, have they kissed yet? Mm -hmm. Okay. Call me when when we're done and we can watch some football. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think sometimes we were willing to make exceptions and potentially compromise to watch something that really it's like, Oh boy, do I really have to see that Mm -hmm. to, to know that men struggle with their identity because that's what the movie was about is this guy struggling with his identity. And for me, the answer is no. And, And I think doing your research on the front end, there's not necessarily a one size fits all answer to that question. Yeah. Um, and am I willing to be honest and say, okay, what's in this movie? What's in this TV show? Mm-hmm. Do I really need to be exposed to that mm-hmm. to potentially take away whatever the redemptive messages might be? Yeah, good point. Well, Adam, thank you so much for weighing in on a lot of these questions. Again, uh, you guys, Adam co-hosts the Plugged In podcast, and we're going to link to that. Uh, he also, PluggedIn.com, where you can get more info on everything we've been talking about. 
Today, um, in addition to all the other things that Plugged In talks about uh, on many different levels related to entertainment and culture. So, Adam, thanks so much for joining us. You bet, Lisa. This was super fun. And, uh, Very fun. We can do it again next year, maybe. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> My heart knows you are. You're constantly right here. Always near. finish out the show we open up our inbox and i get to answer a listener question and uh or, or someone does <laughs> usually it's someone more professional than me it's one of our counselors or a pastor or someone just awesome um, but this week i'm going to answer it because the question that came in is i know reading is one of your favorite hobbies lisa besides the bible what are some of your favorite books to recommend and why well thank you for asking because i do love reading and you know since i'm not 20 something. I, I've had much uh, of life to live and read at this point. So that's kind of fun. So I wrote down a list here of things that I want to share. And I'm going to share as many of these as I can in my time allotted. And so let's go. And they're in a couple different categories. So first up, for those of you who are looking for a devotional to do, um, this year, or you're just looking for something new to get into. I really love New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. And it's very funny because my team at work is actually going through this right now. And I have a copy at home. I have a copy at work. If you need encouragement about the sovereignty of God over your life and his working in everything, uh, every detail of your life with the grace that only he can give, New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. In a similar vein, uh, those of you that are like, I need to pray, I can't pray, I don't know how to pray, I don't like to pray, A Praying Life by Paul Miller is a recommendation by me. I love this book because it makes prayer practical and accessible and allows us to acknowledge our selfishness in prayer and that it doesn't have to be tidy and orderly. It's all about us coming to God as his children. So A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Another book that I like that's also, so I'm going through some spiritual categories here first. Another book that I like um, that is about money from a Christian perspective, straight up, it's a classic. Um, I'm going to give you the shortened version of it. It's called the Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. He has a longer version of this, and I can't remember what it's called, but the Treasure Principle is kind of a truncated version of his larger work on finances and what it means to store up treasures in heaven uh, on giving, on, you know, what does it mean that we're having crowns and jewels and all this business? What does it mean to tithe? It's just a great practical book uh, on that front. All right. 
Let me give you another one. Another book that I love is called um, As Silver Refined. It is by Kay Arthur, who's also a great Christian teacher. This is for the person who is struggling with being disappointed in life or disappointed even by God. If you feel like God has disappointed you um, or life's circumstances have disappointed you, As Silver Refined is all about God uh, taking circumstances and filtering them through his good hand. And what does it mean for us to receive that? So As Silver Refined is a great encouragement for those of you who are discouraged heading into uh, the year. And then um, finally on this front, um, with just Christian books, Christian resources, I love a good biography. And one of the classic, classic, classic missionary biographies that I just love is a book called Bruchko. Um, it is by Bruce Olson, I believe. He was a missionary back in, I want to say the 70s, possibly 60s and 70s in South America. Uh, crazy, crazy stories of how God helped him reach remote tribes there. And really even the interpersonal dynamic with his own family that were very reluctant um, and reluctant is a strong is a not even a strong enough word uh, for him to go as a missionary and what God taught him in the midst of that. Okay, a couple other books. Um, These are just uh, freebies that are all versions of like fiction and just stuff that I like. Uh, Another, anything by Agatha Christie. I'm a big fan of mysteries, but I'm going to recommend Agatha Christie's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. I mean, that's just weird that we're talking about murder on The Boundless Show, but um, this is probably one of the most unique twists in a book that you will have ever read, and it was quite celebrated at the time that it came out. So you got to read the book in order to know what I'm talking about. Uh, Similarly, anything by Anne Perry, that's A-N-N-E Perry. She is a uh, mystery novelist. She has two series. One is about Inspector Pitt and one is about Inspector um, Monk. So there are two guys, Monk and Pitt, two separate series. Both are great. They take place uh, kind of in Victorian England-ish. So those are just fun. Also a book, I think I had to read this one in high school. Um, It was called Ishii, Last of His Tribe. It's about this guy who literally was one of the last of Stone Age Indians in Northern California in the early 20th century. They were living literally Stone Age Indians. And um, he ended up stumbling into town as his, his tribe became extinct. So just craziness there. And then just a couple of kids' books I want to throw out there. One is Watership Down by Richard Adams. Uh, it is literally a book about rabbits, but you will feel very personally involved in these rabbits' lives by the time you finish this book. It is crazy time, uh, crazy town stuff, but just a great classic novel. And then the last one is a shorter book, a kids' book called The Hundred Dresses. And um, uh, that is by, oh, I got to... I'll have to think of the um, author, but The Hundred Dresses, if you look it up, it's a classic. I didn't write that down. Um, also, a, kind of a tearjerkerish kid story that I think all of you would like. Um, also, uh, just last one here, because it's in movie theaters now, everyone's talking about redeeming love. Um, that's a good Francine Rivers book, but my favorite Francine Rivers is called The Mark of the Lion series. There are three novels in it. I would highly recommend you at least read novels one and two about um, a slave girl in the first century who works for a Roman family and all that that entails. Um, It is just extremely sobering and engrossing as far as the persecution the church was under and just what happened there. So a fictionalized version of that, uh, just a great way to get into that. So 
Those are some recommendations, I think, to take you into the new year. Um, I could do a whole other series on newer ones that I've read, um, but I just thought I would give you some of my favorite classics. So there you go. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. As always, we do want to hear from you. Maybe we could hear from you as far as what some of your book recommendations are, and we can even throw something up on social for people to comment on and and weigh in on. And you can let me know if you've read any of the books that I mentioned and what you would recommend, or if you agree or disagree with my assessments. Um, That said, you can find us uh, on Instagram, on Facebook. You can email us at editor at boundless.org, and we would love to hear from you. Until then, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.